There's some fun family dynamics in play there. So today, today is our week of Shalom. As we go throughout our camp series, then Shalom was one of those weeks. And it followed Ubuntu that you might remember from last week. Uh, Shalom being a Hebrew word, and often in English, we simply translate it to mean peace. And when we think of peace, we tend to think of something that is void of conflict, uh, void of war. Um, Yet, especially in Hebrew, there's so much more than just being void of war or void of conflict. Peace, shalom, is compassion. It's reconciliation. It's restoration. It's wholeness. It's completeness. It's hello and goodbye. It's well-being as a whole. Um, Often we have this notion of peace where it equates to perfection. And it's bound by that notion of perfection. And yet that's not what peace really is. It's not what peace fully looks like. In the Hebrew, then, it's much more complex. It could be like, I actually liked your example with the children. Not that I don't normally enjoy Travis's children's sermons, but uh, I thought that was perfect. The puzzle where shalom is all of these separate little pieces, but yet when it's complete, when it's whole, then it's shalom. Um, in, the, in, the, in the Hebrew, then yes, you might have one brick out of this whole wall, Missing, and it's no longer shalom. When all the pieces are there, when all the gaps are filled, it's shalom. It's a very complex idea and concept. Um, it's countries, not simply avoiding war with each other, but it's countries and their leaders actually going in to help each other, to, bet, to the betterment of each other and each other's people. It's such a bigger, more complex notion than just void of something like war. Um, it's asking how your entire well-being is doing. Um, we had Margot ask you to pass shalom this morning because with shalom it's it's a hello greeting it's a goodbye greeting but when you greet someone and you say how is your shalom you're asking how their whole self is doing how is your soul how are you totally doing completely doing Because it's a whole well-being. It's not just harmony and you feeling calm and at peace in the moment. It's a sense of both your physical and spiritual well-being being in harmony together. It's this much larger concept than what we give it credit for simply by using the word peace. 
Uh, Ayana Van Zant, who you might know, uh, she's an author on the New York Times bestsellers list. She, uh, years ago when Oprah Winfrey had a show on TV, which hopefully most of us remember that, um, then she was uh, on there several times. Um, she even, for a brief period of time, had her own show. Um, I've never watched it because it was on cable, but um, she has a book that happened right after her, that she wrote after her first appearance on Oprah, because right after that first appearance on Oprah, um, she got this mediocre bit of, of fame. And that mediocre bit of fame brought her hardships, and she and her husband dissolved their marriage. And then within six months, her daughter had been diagnosed with a terminal illness, and on Christmas Day, her daughter died of that year. Her life was in pieces, like the puzzle that was on the floor. And then she wrote this book called Peace from Broken Pieces. And she learned after those hardships in her life that everything worthy of her knowing in her entire life had been taught to her from the relationships around her. Everything she needed to know in life, she had learned from relationship with people. How to forgive, how to love, how to give grace, how to accept mercy. Everything worth knowing in life, she had learned from being in relationship with different people. And that brought her a kind of peace that she could not find anywhere else. Shalom is a very complex idea of peace. It's how we find the wholeness that we can't find anywhere else. It's a blessing of divine grace. Now, Jacob and Esau. The story, you, Margot read most of it, but not all of it. Uh, the story of Jacob and Esau started when they were still in their mother's womb. Legend has it that they fought inside their mother's womb. Legend has it that Jacob was holding the heel of Esau as Esau was being born first. As if they were already in competition, already in conflict as if Jacob had already lost that first battle with Esau being born first. They were complete opposites. Legend has it that Esau was a very hairy man, dark-skinned, that Jacob was uh, hairless, basically, and ha had a kind of, a, they, they even think maybe a reddish kind of hair and, and that lighter, fairer skin. Jacob enjoyed doing things around the house, learning how to cook and, and do things inside, whereas Esau was a hunter who liked to do things out in the wilderness. Complete opposites, 
butted heads all the time. If you have a sibling and you ever were not like your sibling, you kind of understand some of that conflict. If you ever had a parent that favored one of your siblings over yourself, you kind of understand that conflict. I won't look over there that just saw uh, kids looking at parents. But yes, but you know, it, it's very obvious when you read even the part that Margot read that Esau was clearly Isaac's favorite and Jacob was clearly Rebecca's favorite. And this brought some tension, some added conflict to this family dynamic. What's interesting is how this played out. Jacob went ahead with what his mother, Rebecca, had asked of him in retaining that birthright. Now, mind you, he kind of, in a sneaky way, got it before Rebecca suggested this in the fact that there was one day that Isaac was, or well, I don't know where Isaac was, but uh, Esau had been out uh, far too long outside to where he was completely just fatigued. And there Jacob was inside making this hearty stew that had to be, uh, I don't know, some kind of life-altering experience to have smelled when you came in that fatigued from being outside to where Jacob kind of held it back and said, when his brother begged him for food and said, I'll give it to you if you give me your birthright in exchange for it. And as just dehydrated as I imagine Esau was, then he said, fine, just give it to me. And he ate it. And Esau never told his dad that he gave Jacob that birthright. And I don't think that he necessarily, if you have any siblings or you have kids or you've even met a kid, then you probably realize that kids say and do things that they don't necessarily mean. Um, it, it happens. And so, uh, oh, well, I was going to say, we even have one here that traded a, was it a little handheld PlayStation? Ashley's shaking her head, yes. Um, we even have one here that uh, play, traded on the bus one day a PlayStation for a whistle that... Uh, I don't remember how magical this whistle was, but it was some kind of magical whistle. Um, and they believed, that, I mean, he, he honestly believed that this was like a magical whistle that, you know, that was really special, that was worthy of such a trade. Kids believe things and kids say things that they don't often mean. And, and that's part of being a kid, I think. And so I don't know that Esau necessarily truly believed that that's really what he was trading with the stew, but... Needless to say, I will say that Jacob, to some extent, does have this part of the story to also tell, that Esau never told to his dad. But then he followed up with this trickery that's clearly trickery with his mom. And then what happens? The moment he gets that, Rebecca tells him to go and flee. You need to run for your life, son. Run until you can no longer run. And that's what he did. And as we know with the story, he ran until he couldn't anymore. 
and he laid his head on a rock and slept. And that's how we have the whole Jacob's dream with the ladder of heaven and earth going up and down. And Jacob had this life that had bad parts to it and had good parts to it. And God blessed him throughout his life. But he never felt shalom. He never had that peace, that wellness, that wholeness in his being. And he knew why. He knew he had to go back to his brother and apologize. But after years and years of not being in contact, that makes it harder and harder. Some of us have people that we haven't spoken to in decades because we have a grudge against them or they have a grudge against us and we don't have that kind of peace. Jacob lived in fear. Such fear that even though he knew he needed to go back Before he went back, he sent his brother all of these gifts. And then, after all the gifts he could think to send him, he sent all of his slaves to go before him. And then at different stages, he sent his family members, each of his wives and kids, hoping that something will make him soften. Esau knew that Jacob was coming. He came out, Jacob thinking the worst, that he's there to kill him as he arrives. And instead, Esau greets him with a huge hug, welcoming him back, assuring him that there is shalom, There's reconciliation. There's peace among them. The compassion that Esau had is what brought that shalom, what made it possible. Jesus, our Prince of Peace, came so that we, humanity, and our Creator can be reconciled. So that we can accept that peace is not solely the absence of conflict, but the presence of God with us. We get to be shalom on this earth. We get to bring peace, reconciliation, God's shalom to the earth. It's complex. It requires humility and patience and love. It takes work to bring the broken together, to restore it to wholeness. But that's what we're called to do. Conflict occurs in every community. Conflict leads to brokenness. But over time, that brokenness can be moved to shalom, to wholeness. We can pick up those fragments, see the potential the value, and the worth so that we can be shalom. Amen? Amen. Let us sing, let there be peace on earth as we prepare to come to God's table.